You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 8. And we are going to look at verses 28, 29, and 30. Now, we've already studied verse 28. And we spent one, uh, one service on that verse. Now, we're going to look at verses 29 through 30. And uh, this will be a part one. There will be a part two and most likely even a part three to this sermon. We'll see. We'll see how far we can get next week. But I'm just going to cover one point today because I think it's one that needs to be understood and I don't think a lot of people understand it. Uh, And uh, we we will talk about that today. And so uh, we're going to look at it. So first of all, if you would not mind, stand together for reverencing the reading of God's Word. And verse 28 says... And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today to understand your word. Help me to be true to what you meant by these words. And help us, God, to believe them no matter what. To accept them the way you said them. And help us, Lord, to give you glory because that's what we're looking at today is how that you have secured our salvation from past to present to future. And we praise you and give you all the glory because you deserve every bit of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Five actions, one actor. I didn't know. I didn't like that. Um, but I, I, I want to spend more time on studying than coming up with a neat title, you know. But I, in way of introduction, I want to do this. Uh, all the importance of one little word. A lot of times a scripture turns on one word. I love Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about, and we're going to talk about it a little bit here in a minute, but how that we were dead in trespasses and sins, alienated, and we were just without hope in this world. And then it says, but God (laughs) made us alive through Jesus Christ. Yes, but God. Well, that's the way these verses are here. Now, in verse 28, we have one of the greatest promises and one of the greatest theological themes of all the Bible. So we got to ask this question. You got to ask this. How 
Can this be true? All things, everything that happens to you. A minute ago when you tripped over that little thing getting into your pew, you know, when you, you, know, when you hit that wrong note up there in the choir, uh, what, you know, uh, and then, you know, the, having a good meal and all the good things, all the bad things, all the righteous things, and even the sinful things, God says it all works for your good if you're a lover of God and you've been called by his purpose. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, you know, you think about it. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Well, so, so here's the thing we got to ask ourselves. The normal human beings are going to say, how in the world can that be? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. And when we see that little word in, in the Greek, it's three small letters just like it is in the English. O-T is how it's pronounced, or A-T in, in Greek. It's the first word of verse 29. Say it with me, for. Now, you may have a Bible that says because, maybe. I don't know. Seeing that, but that's what it means. It can mean because, and it tells us Paul is about to explain how all things can work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. For Christians, those who believed in Christ, how can all things work together? I tell you why, because salvation is of God, past, present, and future. Now that's basically what he's fixing to say. And first of all, we see a couple of these things. We have five themes that he brings up, five the theological terms. But don't think of it like that. Paul was not giving some university address. He was glorying in God. And he winds up in the last few verses of this chapter just, just giving, extolling God for his greatness and, and how he's blessed us. And so, so these are, this is not a theological treatise of uh, you know, doctrine. No, this is good stuff for you and me. And you got to think of it in that way. And he gives five reasons that God can say all things are going to work together for good to those that love God. And then he expounds on that a little more in the verses we'll see later. But let's just get right into it. They are, number one, foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. Now look at verse 29. It says, for whom he foreknew, F-O-R-E, Knew. Whom he foreknew. I want to ask you something. Who said foreknow? Who said foreknow? God. Is this the inerrant, infallible, ever living word of God? God said, Whom he foreknew. Now, the question is, what does he foreknew? And we'll get into that. Foreknowledge, all things work together good because, number one, God's purpose and plan. That's what foreknow means. The enhanced Strong's lexicon, which is accepted by most every, every theologian, defines it like this, prognosco. That's the word which we get our word prognosis from. It has five occurrences in the King James translation as number one, uh, twice as foreknow, foreordain once, know once, and know before once. Its meaning 
It's very deep. Listen, it means to have knowledge beforehand. <laughs> now, that's just the simple, straight definition of this word for no, just like it sounds, to have knowledge beforehand. And everybody would say, well, God knows everything. I mean, we'd all say that. Well, God knows everything. God knows what we're going to do. God knows the future. God knows everything. He's not uh, uh, bound by time, but... But what does it mean when he says this, foreknow? The word simply means to know beforehand. Foreknowledge is the work of God the Father, by the way. As I've told you, and I've been emphasizing this for this very reason, that you've got to understand that if you want to balance gospel and theology, you must balance it on the tri-union uh, of the Godhead. And you must know all of them and appreciate all of them and worship all of them for that. Well, here's the work of God. He foreknows and whatever this means, and we're going to define it a little bit better. Foreknowledge is the work of God the Father. And in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, which Aaron read a bunch of that for us, and you'll see why. Uh, Peter agrees with Paul when he says that we are elect chosen by God, listen, according to the foreknowledge of who? God the Father. We're chosen according to foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, I want to tell you something. You may not exactly believe the way I do about this, and you may have some questions afterwards, but here's the thing about it. If you don't study this and come up with something that makes you want to run and shout glory to God, you don't know it yet. You don't know it yet. There are generally two beliefs about this word. Generally two beliefs. By the way, get the back of your bulletin there. Everybody get your bulletin right there. Sermon notes. I want you to take notes. I want you to write down scriptures, okay? Write them down. Take some notes. It helps you listen. And then if you got questions afterwards, you can bring them to me, okay? Now, here we go. The first belief is this, that foreknowledge is foreseen faith. That foreknowledge is foreseen faith faith that God looked down through time and saw what we would do and aha and elected and predestined according to that and I guarantee you that a lot of you have heard that all your life it says God saw in eternity past how a person would respond to the gospel and chose them on that basis one other verse that connects predestination with election, again, is 1 Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Remember this verse. That's the only two verses in the Bible, really, that kind of talks about predestination, that election uh, being according to the foreknowledge of God. And then it says this, now listen, in sanctification of the Spirit, that's what the Spirit does when you get saved. He sanctifies you, he regenerates you, he comes into you. And then look at this, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you. There you go, the, tri, the, the Trinity. Every part of your salvation is worked out by all three of the Trinity. 
God does the purposing and the planning and the foreknowing and the electing and the predestinating and and Jesus Christ comes in time and he paid for your sin. He died on the cross and he rose again and he offers you salvation and the spirit of God reproves the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And when you come to believe and you've been called of God and you come to believe, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God gives you new birth, makes you a new person in Christ. And then he seals you and keeps you till the day of Christ Jesus. Well, glory to his name. So again, some will say that foreknowledge means God elects and predestines by looking down through time and seeing who will believe and who will not. And he elects and predestines in eternity past those who will believe in time present. There's a few problems with that, as you see on the board already. Number one, the word. The word. The word is not for see. The word is for know. The word is for know, not for see. Number two, another problem with that is omniscience. Omniscience. How many of you believe God the Father is omniscient? He knows all things. Well, let me tell you something. If this is true, that means that God had somewhere, sometime in eternity past, had to gain knowledge. And you know that's blasphemy. He had to gain knowledge of who was going to believe and then go, aha, I'm going to make my plan. I'm going to choose them. The object of it. What is the object? Now, you listen to me. You listen to this. I bet I'm going to tell you some things you've never really ever considered here. But the object of it. Well, the only place we know what the object of foreknowledge is is in our text. And what does it say? Whom he foreknew, not what he foreknew. Whom he foreknew, not what he foreknew. Now, this is not on the board. There's going to be a little bit maybe. I don't know what I've put up there. But actually, this is number three. The object of it was number three, all right? And this is number four, but it's not up there, Riley. Uh, You can consider this number four. I've got it as a sub point under whom, but actually it ought to be another one. Here's the, the other one, and you can write this one in. Is assumption. Assumption. Everybody say that word with me, assumption. How many of you know the old saying about assuming? Then I don't have to repeat it, all right? Here, now listen to me. Here, and in 1 Peter 1, verse 2, it is, now listen, it is assumed by those who believe foreknowledge is foreseen faith It is assumed that what God foreknows is what we will do. It's assumed that foreknowledge means that God looks down through time and sees what we'll do and then elects us according to what we do. That is an assumption. Show me in the Bible where it says that. doesn't say it. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What, what about the foreknowledge of God the Father? It doesn't say anything. Now, let me tell you something. I can just as well assume it is what God saw or knew that he would do. I assume 
that God's foreknowledge looks down through time. If you wouldn't, he doesn't look down through time. He's just God. He knows us. He's omniscient. But God does not look down through time to see what we would do so he can make his plans. No, God knew in eternity past what he would do. Are you listening? You say, well, brother on yours is an assumption too. Yes, mine's an assumption that has scriptural backup to it. See, to say that God looked down through time and saw what we would do, you have no scriptural teaching that way anywhere in the Bible. But, listen, nowhere in the Bible you find that God looks and sees what sinners will do and then makes his choice accordingly. But you see time and time again that he does all things, what? According to what? The counsel of his own will and the good pleasure of his own purpose. Now we're going to have Bible study here. And let me turn my phone on here. I don't want to go too long and we're not going to. We're, man, we're going to get done early, I promise you. Yeah, I've done that promise before too, you know. <laughs> Acts 2.23, now listen, write that down, Acts 2.23. Him being delivered, Jesus Christ, by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God. Now does that mean that God looked down through time to see what Jesus was doing and said, Aha, that's going to be what I do. Absolutely not. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. 2 Timothy 1.9, listen to this verse. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, unmerited favor, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. You loving this? You should. Ephesians 1, 4. Y'all know how I love these passages because it answers so much. Ephesians 1, 4. Just as he chose us, elected us. Eklegomai is the Greek word. Just as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. Now you say, well, that's because of his foreknowledge of knowing what we would do. Really? Keep reading. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his foreknowledge... No, according to the good pleasure of his will. You say, Brother Ron, why would God love any of us? Why would he choose any of us? Why would we want to save any of us? That's a question no preacher can tell you. Just because he wanted to. It was in his plan and his will to do so, and he did. And you know what you ought to do? Hit your face. Hit your knees and put your hands up in the air at the same time if you can. And praise God and thank him for his graciousness to you. Amen. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, and which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Not in some foreseen faith, not in something he learned. No, he purposed it in himself. How could it get any clearer than that? Yeah. Ephesians 1.11 Oh, this verse is just, this is an overwhelming verse. This is almost as huge as Romans 8, 28. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to what? The purpose of him who works all things according to what? 
the counsel of his will. That he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. I'm going to give you one other verse I used it last week. I'll be using it again later in this sermon. But John 1, 11 said he came, or verse 10, I think it says, He came to his own, his own received him not. Now listen, but as many as received him. Yeah, that's right. You've got to receive him. You've got to believe. As many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now listen, though, verse 12, who were born not of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God praise him praise him I have literally seen people give their testimony ignorantly I know happy in Jesus yes saved absolutely but ignorantly I've seen them literally take their hands and pat themselves on the back and say I thank God one day I was smart enough to call Jesus the Lord of my life Uh. well then it's not salvation by grace it's by merit you merited it because you were smart enough you were wise enough you were good enough I don't see that in the Bible Then the fifth one, or the fourth one, like mine says here, is depravity. Depravity proves that foreknowledge is not God looking down through time to see what we would do. Depravity. Some call it total depravity. You could also call it total inability. Is that true? Does the Bible teach that? Well, you tell me. I'm going to read you something. If God were to look down through time, I'm telling you, if God were to look down through time to see who would choose him, he would be totally disappointed. Psalm 14.1. Listen. The foot. Excuse me. The fool. (laughs) The fool. I spit on my iPad here. I'm sorry. The fool. (laughs) Every T. Every dotted I. The fool has, I hope that's not changing the word of God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord, now listen, the Lord looks down from heaven, not down through time, but he looks down through heaven at men, at the earth, upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And he repeats this in Psalm 53, Word for word. And then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul writes in Romans 3, verse 10. I've used this with y'all hundreds of times, but and I'll keep on doing it. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. All have turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. How are you going to look down through time and see somebody like that? that believing in you well Romans 8 7 now you listen to this listen listen to the word of God 
Because the carnal mind, that is the mind, the fleshy mind, the, mind, the only mind you have before you're saved. That's all you are before you're saved is carnal. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's an enemy of God. It's against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Now listen, nor indeed can be. And listen to verse 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if God is looking down through time to find somebody that would please him, somebody that would obey him, somebody that would come to him, he is totally disappointed. Romans, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 no, no, before I get to that one, let me tell you this. And again, bring up Ephesians 2. Go, go read Ephesians 2. And it says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. And he says it several times. It's a theme that goes through the Bible. Adam and Eve, uh, uh, Adam was on the earth. God had created him. He said, Adam, that tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't you eat thereof, for in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And Adam ate after being uh, offered it by his wife, and they both ate, and immediately their eyes were open, and they knew good and evil, and they immediately died spiritually died just like they die hundreds of years later physically they died that day immediately separated from God spiritually and my friend you were born dead dead without Christ dead without goodness at all not sick not ailing let me ask you something how many dead people hear pretty music I'm talking physically none how many dead people smell nice roses? That's why you ought to pass them out while they're, <laughs> they're alive, amen? How many people see uh, pretty paintings? How many dead people understand mathematical equations? You say, Brother On, you're being silly. Absolutely. And it's just as silly to believe that a dead spiritual person can understand spiritual things. Just as silly. Maybe even sillier. Listen, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. If you believe foreknowledge is foreseen faith, that means that you have to say, God looked down through time, saw that I would choose him, so he chose me before I could get a chance to choose him, and he saw what I would, that I would choose him, so he chose me. You say, that's confusing. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even sound right, and you know it doesn't. This would make man, now listen, this would make man sovereign in his own salvation. God voted for me, the devil voted against me, and I cast the winning vote or the losing vote. Really? So God's up in heaven. Oh, I hope he does it. I hope he comes to me. I hope he chooses me. I hope. You think that's right? You think all these verses I just read about the sovereignty of God and him purposing and planning and foreordaining and all these things, that that's the God that's in heaven. 
The second explanation of foreknowledge is that foreknowledge means for love or a predetermined relationship. That's what I think it means. That's what I think it means. Now, why do I think that? Because I need to back it up with Scripture. Again, I'm telling you, the reason I didn't have any Scriptures backing up the other one is because there are none. There are none. It's all assumption that God looks down through time. But listen to this, Matthew 1, 25, And Joseph did not know her, that's Mary, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Now, I want to ask you something. Does that mean that he didn't know how to say her name? Now, as adults in here, we know exactly what that means. He didn't have an intimate physical relationship with her till after she'd given birth to Christ. Well, Genesis 4, 1's better. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain. Does that mean to have and bear children, all you have to do is know somebody's name? Lord, help. You know that's not what he means. He's using the word know there for the word love. Intimate love. Intimate physical love. The gift that God has given a husband and a wife. And you know them like nobody else knows them. And it's a precious thing if done right. It's love. We call it love, forgive me, love making. But when you don't do it the way God says to do it, it's hate making. Hating God's commands, hating God's way, hating your own self and hating the partner you're doing it with because you're bringing them down into judgment. The Bible says the adulterer will have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Had to get that in there. Had to get that in there. But that's another message. Amos 3.2. Amos 3.2. Writing this one down. Speaking of Israel, God said, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I punish you for all your iniquities. Now, do you think that meant that God said, I don't know any. Is there another nation on earth? I hadn't seen any other nations on earth. I, I just know Israel. No, that's not what he meant. He said, You're the only nation I love. You're the only nation I have chosen. You're the only nation that I have called. And you've disobeyed me. You're mine. I've betrothed you unto myself. Therefore, because I love you, I will punish you. Because I know you. Romans 11.1, 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he... Now listen, for new... What did he mean by foreknow there? Same word, prognos prognosis in the English. What did that mean? It meant for love, whom he loved beforehand. Psalm 91, 14, God speaking. This is my favorite use of this word. I love this verse. Because he has set, God is saying this, any man, any person, any woman, any boy, any girl, because he has set his love upon me, on God, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Do you think he means because he can say Yahweh? El Shaddai? Or Adonai, if you can say that, I'm going to lift you on high. No, he means if you love me, if you, for, 
All things work together for good to those who what? Love God, who know God. All right, 1 Peter 1, 19. Now listen, this is right under 1 Peter 1, 2, which says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. A lot of people want to say that means God looks down through time. But look at this one. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world and was manifest in these last times for us. That word foreordained, I don't know why our translators chose to translate it foreordained, but it is the exact same word in verse 2 where it says... Uh, elect according to the foreknowledge. It is the word foreknowledge. Now, let me ask you something there in 1 Peter 1, 19 that uh, says he, Christ, indeed was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Does that mean that God looked down through time and saw what Jesus would do and said, Aha, I'm going to make that my plan. You know that's not what this verse means. Foreordained is a good translation. Therefore, whom God has chosen. Now listen, I'm wrapping this up. Therefore, whom God chose to set his love upon in eternity past, he predestined their future to be saved, to be sanctified, to be secured, and then to be set in heaven. <laughs> Think about it. Now, let's get down to what we're talking about. That's big theological stuff that I think you ought to know. But think about it. God loved you in eternity past. He set his mind upon you, knowing all of your sin and all of your unrighteousness. And, and yet, he chose you for himself. It's called grace. Grace. You know, I sing a song, and I'm still going to sing it, but it says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. When, when he was wandering around in space before anything was ever created, you were on his mind. You were on his mind. So Romans 8, 28 can be believed because of the purposes and plans of God in eternity past. Isaiah, now listen. This is the last thing I've got. Isaiah 14, 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, surely as I have thought. What is that? Foreknowledge. Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. <laughs> 